Well, good morning, Oakland, and welcome guests that are here. Uh, week three of our series, Anxious for Nothing. Uh, super excited to be able to share with you today, coming off the men's conference this weekend in Fort Worth, Texas. Had a great time down there. And uh, Before we go any further this morning, though, just want to remind you about this. Uh, God has a way of like, intersecting things and, and that we're doing. Uh, doing this as a church together this year, um, just just uh, 52 truths from the Bible that every Christian should know, core 52. Uh, this week was about your identity in Christ and like what you were created to be. Uh, the, the verse we looked at was Genesis 126, uh, where God said, let us make man in our image. And it talked about our identity in Christ. It talked about how we are to take on the image of Jesus Christ. How is that even possible? Um, how are we like God in so many ways because of how he created us? Great concepts of truth, and so just invite you, it's not too late to be a part of this. We still have a few copies left. They'll be sold after the service today, uh, but get, get a copy of this and start, start your growth in the Lord this year, and really get to know the Bible, and, and, and intersect with that, interact with that, dwell on it, think about it, pray about those things. It really does help you in your spiritual growth and to get to know God better, so just want to throw that out there, because I've thoroughly enjoyed it uh, these first couple weeks, and uh, I, I know that there's several of you that have offered me some positive feedback too, so that's, that's super exciting. Hey, we're in a series called Anxious for Nothing, and really the, the purpose of this series is to bring hope uh, for those that are maybe struggling with anxiety, worry, depression, uh, stress, to really understand what does God's Word say about that, because it's amazing that God actually speaks to this, and if you think about when the Bible was written, and specifically when the book of Philippians was written, you're like, wow, God's speaking to us from a long time ago. And yet it was so real then, and it's so real and applicable for us today. And so uh, just, it's been, been a great series. The first week, uh, we learned that God is near. It says there right there in Philippians uh, chapter 4 that we're not going to be anxious about anything because the Lord is near. It actually talked about God is actually near us in our time of need. And because of that, we need to uh, be aware of His presence. And to be in His presence uh, gives us gives us that hope and gives us that security that we may feel like we're lacking. And then uh, last week, uh, as we got further into last week we talked about how anxiety is a signal alerting us that it's time to pray. That every time we start feeling anxious about our circumstance or about our situation, well, let's just use that as, as an alert saying, hey, it's time to pray. It, it, anxiety is a signal alerting that it's, that it's time to pray because the scripture said that through prayer and, pet, and petition with thanksgiving, we're going to present our request to God and that through this process of presenting our request to God and praying that he's going to bring about this peace, that the peace of God that transcends all understanding. We can't even really fathom how we get it. It will guard not only our hearts but our minds and that's only possible in Christ Jesus. And so we've learned that God is near, we've learned that we need to be praying to Him, and, and that when we have these feelings come our way, we feel like we're alone, you know, that's just the devil whispering into our ears that we need to be overcomers because of who Christ is and because of what He's done for us, and to know that He's watching over us at all times. And today we're going to continue in that passage of Scripture, so uh, if you have your Bibles, follow along on the app, get there, Philippians chapter 4, we're actually going to add two more verses uh, to what we've been reading the last few weeks. So we've been reading 4 through 7, and I, and I would love for you uh, to take that to memory. I think that God can use that to wield out when someone's in need, and you need that scripture in your life. Sometimes that scripture's for you. Sometimes it's for you to share with others. When they come and they're sharing their burdens, and they're, they've got an anxiety and fear about what's going to happen, they don't know, and you can whip it, whip it out of your heart and, and say, hey, be anxious for nothing. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. But everything, present a request to God. And you can start sharing that passage of Scripture with them. So 
uh, encourage you to do that. Now let's be mindful about our situation here with the Apostle Paul. Uh, we know from the beginning of the book of Philippians that he's in a Roman prison, that he is actually uh, under uh, uh, chained to a guard. He, he's under uh, arrest in kind of like the, the, the inner part of the prison. And, and um, because of that, he's chained to a guard. I'm thinking pretty desperate and dire circumstances, right? That's, that's where he writes this book of Philippians. He writes it to the church and the Christians in a town called Philippi. And, 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 you know, he's, he's, and in our story today, he's going to uh, uh, be writing about his time that he had actually spent in Rome. And remember when he came to Rome, he wanted to come to Rome to share the gospel there. He knew Rome was a hub city, that if we could influence Rome, we could influence the entire world. And Paul was one of those big thinkers for the gospel saying, hey, hey, God can use this to draw people to himself. And so he wanted to come to Rome as a preacher. But instead, what happens? He comes to Rome. He comes to Rome as a prisoner. But it's even through being in prison, being shackled to a guard, and all the circumstances he's under, that he pens these words to some Christians in Philippi and gives them encouragement on how to be overcomers regardless of circumstances, how they're not going to be anxious people. They're not going to be people full of fear, fear of what's going to be like tomorrow. I don't think I can make it another day. No, they're going to be people with boldness. They're going to be people with peace. They're going to be people with security because they know that God is in control and that God is on the throne. So let's read this Philippians uh, chapter 4. And today, like I said, we're going to add a couple verses. Verses 4 through 9, it says this. Don't miss the beginning. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then for emphasis sake, he says, I will say it again. Rejoice. And that time he says it with an exclamation point. So he really meant it that time, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then we get to verse 8, and it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. Whatever you have learned, look what he says here, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. There's the Apostle Paul being an example right there, right? He says, hey, whatever you have received from me, word of the Lord, whatever you have heard me teach or preach, whatever you have, whatever you have seen in me, received from me, whatever you've seen in my example, put those things into practice. What's going to happen, Paul? What if we see, if we start putting into practice everything you're teaching us here, what's going to happen? Then he answers it there and he says, and the God of peace will be with you. And you can have great peace even with all the circumstances. And today we're really going to focus on these words of praise, these words of scripture from this passage that look to God in the time of need. And they don't look to God as a, as a cry out just in prayer, but also as a time of praise. He starts out the, the passage by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. He talks about if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about, dwell upon those things. And then he says, hey, whatever you have learned, received, or heard, or seen in me, put those things into practice. Go and do like I do. And you get to this point where you're like, okay, Paul, all right. So you're kind of calling us out here, right? You, you, you've, you've come to us now, and you're saying, hey, whatever you've seen or heard or received. So tell me, Paul, you're saying we need to rejoice always. When was the time that you were rejoicing? Well, so happens, you know the New Testament. Read the New Testament. Uh, Paul was in trouble a lot for Jesus. He went to jail a lot for Jesus. He was run out of towns. He was, you know, beaten several times. I mean, he had all kinds of persecution and bad things happen uh, to him on behalf of the name of Jesus Christ, truly. It wasn't like Paul sinned and broke a, a law of the city. No, he was actually just, just doing what God had called him to do, and they were making up charges against him, just trying to get him to not have any influence in their city, no influence in their culture. And so he, he challenges us, and he kind of throws it down here in Philippians chapter 4. Hey, you guys need to be anxious about nothing, and that you guys need to be people of prayer, and you need to be rejoicing. And I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice always in the Lord. And, and when you're thinking about things that are noble and true and honorable, and then he says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. There's not too much in life that's praiseworthy if you think about it. I mean, when I hear praiseworthy, I think of Lord God Almighty. And he says, hey, whatever you've seen me do, put it into practice. So we're going to read about a time where Paul lived this truth out. And he absolutely put it into practice. We'll see how the Lord speaks to us. And so if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along the app this morning, we're going to be looking at a, a story of Paul and a guy named Silas from Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read this. Uh, most of this chapter to you, we're going to begin with verse 16, but just a, a note uh, so the end of this passage makes sense that in the verses just before, there was the conversion of a lady named Lydia. Now, the Bible says that Lydia was a seller of purple goods in a town called Thyatira. What that meant is she was a fashion mogul, and purple goods were the most expensive linen cloths that you could have. And this was stuff for royalty. This was, this was stuff for the upper echelon of society. And so this lady was very influential. Uh, she was on the cutting edge. She'd be, she'd be a star, you know. She'd be someone from, from Hollywood, California in today's time. Very, very influential. And, and it says there that, that, that Paul and Silas and even some of the brothers go to her. And it says there that they, they spoke the word of God to her. She actually accepts Christ. She is then baptized. And then it says after that in verse 15 that her and her whole household as well were baptized. And that she urged them saying, hey, you've judged me. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, then come to my house and, and, and stay a while. I mean, you come and teach me more. And she's begging them to come and stay. But they had another mission they were going on. That's where we pick up the passage here uh, in verse 16. So they just had something great happen. One of the most influential pe people in Thyatira. Lydia has now converted to Christianity. She's now a believer in Jesus Christ. And we get to verse 16, it says this. As we were going to the place of prayer, so they're going to, going, you know, to, to, to a place where they can get away, they can pray to the Lord. As we're going to this place of, uh, of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So we know this, this word divination gives us this idea of an evil spirit. 
okay, uh, of, of even demon possession. And because of that, she had this ability to foretell the future. And her owners, notice it calls her right there that she is a slave girl. Her owners were gaining much fortune through this fortune telling that she was doing. Verse 17, it says, She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, you may say, well, that's really odd for a demon-possessed girl to be saying quite spiritual and, and positive things like that, like, like telling people, as Paul and, and, and Silas go around, that these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. But that is not how she was saying it. She was saying it in a very sarcastic, maybe even a snarky way, maybe even monotone. I bet you it sounded something more like this, okay? So imagine that you're uh, the Apostle Paul, Silas, maybe some others that are hanging out with those two guys. Um, but they're, they're going around, they're, they're talking about the Lord, they're doing the Lord's work. And then this demon-possessed girl comes upon them, hangs out with them, and is crying out. So she's loud, and she's saying this. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men, they're with from the Most High God, they proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. And it's just like, ugh. Look what it says in the next verse. It says, And this she kept up and did it for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit i command you in the name of jesus christ to come out of her and it came out that very hour the demon possessed slave girl loses that spirit of divination that that demon that was in her cast out by the apostle paul we get to verse 19 it says but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone i mean that she was the money maker right i mean she was the moneymaker, and now that was gone because he cast out the evil spirit. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing the peace in our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now, had they done any of that? No? No? And it says the crowd joined them in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And so they strip them down, probably just their loincloth, and, and they strip them down, and then the magistrates gave them orders to beat them with rods. And they beat them. So many times we read that, we don't think about what that might be like. So I just thought, maybe we, maybe we should do this, you know, and, and just see what it's like. So I just wonder if there's a volunteer today that like to... Strip down to your skivvies and get rotted up here. Anybody? So, volunteers, no hands. Wow. I, just, I mean, this is serious, okay? This is torture. They're sending a message, okay? Don't speak in the name of Jesus Christ. This has been going all, all on throughout the book of Acts. Anytime they mention Jesus' name, everybody gets crazy. You know, it's because Jesus has power. It's like, well, we want power. We're, we're, you know, we want power in the government, and we want to rule over everything, and Jesus just keeps overcoming things, and... And now his followers are casting demons out of people. And it's like, come on. It says, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, like we taught them a lesson, then they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them there safely. In other words, hey, make sure these guys don't escape, okay? Keep them there safely. They cause big problems here. 
Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison. That'd be like the solitary confinement, okay? It's like the most secure part of the prison. So he puts them into the inner prison, and he fastened their feet in the stocks, so they're not going anywhere. And then we get to verse 25. What a day, right? Stripped, beaten with rods, falsely accused. They're in prison, they're bleeding, they're bruised, their backs are swollen. Probably got a broken rib or two, I imagine. I mean, even breathing is hard for them. And then we get to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? Praying and praising. At midnight, in the prison, what in the world would you be praising about now the praying i could see it's like lord spare our lives help my rib i can't breathe i'm bleeding please help infection not to sit in we're dirty this dirty prison and, and okay i get that all right i understand the praying part you know they're probably crying out to god right and, and we know we could do that we learned that last week and that's a good thing god wants to hear our prayers he wants to hear our cries out to him but the thing that i really question here is what happens after this says that they were praying and singing when that happens to you, does it cause you to want to sing? But here's the deal. Here's what I want us to get this morning. They weren't praising God at that moment for the what. They were praising him for the who. They were not praising God at that very moment for the what, what God had done for them. Because at that moment, they're like, God, I am hurting and I am bleeding. But they were praising him for the who because they knew who he was. And they knew, you can beat me with rods all day and all night till I die. And it doesn't matter because God's still on the throne. And if I am his child, guess what? You can beat me to death and I'll go to heaven. While you stay down here on earth. I mean, they had some reasons to praise. And it completely changed their perspective, I think. That in the presence of this praise, you have the true mindset and the true heart of a believer. Let's see what else happens here. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Well, there's not much going on in prison, right? I mean, it's kind of quiet, but the prisoners are li listening to these guys praise God. And what do you think the prisoners are thinking? You know, gosh, these guys are nuts. I mean, they must have rotted them in the head. I mean, praising the Lord. I mean, who wants to be a follower of that God, right? I mean, come on. And then it says, and suddenly... There was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Everybody was chained and locked up in there. They all became unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, that was a big deal. Okay, if you're the prison guard and prisoners get away, they don't talk to you. They just beat you and then kill you. Because they're angry. And what did they say specifically back there in verse 23? It said, take these people to prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Especially these two. Especially Paul and Silas. You keep an extra careful eye on them. You keep them safely in this prison. Make sure they do not escape. And so, when the shackles come off and the prison doors are open, the earthquake comes. It says that he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Maybe he dozed off, you know. We know it was after midnight. Verse 28, 
It says, but Paul cried it with a loud voice so that he'd stop. He said, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, <clears throat> and him and the guards, they, they rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, he'd, he'd heard what they were preaching. He'd heard about Jesus Christ. He'd heard the gospel, but he had not responded. That's like many of us today. We've heard the gospel. We know the story. But do we know God? Have we responded and made him our Savior and our Lord? And, and he gets down on his knees before him and says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. In the middle of the night, they're having a baptism. I mean, this, this is crazy. Notice also that the, that the guard took them to his house, and he says that he cleaned up their wounds. He said, it's in thir verse 34, it says, Then he brought them into the house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. God was doing some miraculous work in spite of this jail situation. Verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, hey, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now. You can go in peace. Thanks for staying. Thanks for not running off, but you can go in peace now. Verse 37 says, but Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and they have thrown us into prison and do they now throw us out secretly no let them come themselves and take us out I'm like oh Paul the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that these men were Roman citizens because with Roman citizens you had to have a trial you just couldn't do what they had just done beat them beat them really good throw them in jail you didn't do that to Roman citizens and then verse 39 says, so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and they asked them to leave the city. It's like, we are so sorry about this little situation here, but could you please leave? We don't want the name of Jesus spoken here anymore. It seems like you just tick off some of the authorities in the town. Um, you know, they, they don't want Jesus to be in charge of people's lives. They want to be in charge of people's lives. So can you just leave? We're sorry. We're sorry that we, be, sorry that we threw you in prison without a trial. We know you're... Your Roman citizens. In verse 40 it says, So they went out of the prison, and then they visited Lydia, who had just become a believer, right, just before that. And when they had seen the brothers, the, the ones that were worshiping God, the believers there, it says they encouraged them, and then they departed. Completely changed their perspective, I bet. But before the miracle of shackles coming off and prison doors being open, these men, after being beaten and thrown into prison, it says that they prayed and they sang praises to God. And I think there's a powerful perspective change when this happens in the heart and the mind of a believer. You go, when you focus on the Lord, to an overcomer mentality. Because when you're focused on the Lord God Almighty and you think of the strength of his might and you think the God of the universe has the power to create all things, 
is actually the one who is taking care of me, it completely changes your outlook. See, they could have looked at the jail. They could have looked at the chains. They could have looked at the conditions. They could have looked about the, the blood that was all over their body and, and, and the bruising and the broken, the broken bones possibly. And, and they'd been beaten with rods. This wasn't some little tap thing. I mean, these, these, they get the strongest guys in the community to come and do torture to people. I mean, these guys were beaten. They were bloody. They're in a prison. These weren't prisons like we have today. No three square meals, you know, TV in your room with some books to read. It wasn't like that. These, were, these prisons were for the deplorables of society. It was a horrible place to be. And yet, it's in those conditions that Paul says, we're going to get our praise on. We're going to sing and we're going to praise Almighty God. And in the middle of the night, at midnight, under arrest and shackled, these men praise the Lord. And I think at that time they went from this mentality of maybe being defeated to being an overcomer. So many of us, we get looking at our circumstances and we get that defeated Eeyore mentality. Oh my goodness. What else could go wrong? Oh, it's so bad. And yet, if we get our eyes off of here and just our circumstances and just the conditions and get our eyes up toward heaven, it's amazing how God can use that to change our minds and our hearts. That's exactly what's exemplified for us here by Paul and Silas. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 3 says, says this, Since then, you've been raised with Christ. You've tasted the water and grave of baptism. You've been raised to walk a newness of life. Your sins are washed away. You're called to this new walk with Jesus Christ. You're a new creation. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds also on things above and not on earthly things. And that's exactly what they exemplified for us. Think about that. Let this word of Scripture soak in again. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you see him there? You see his presence and his, his dominion, his dominance over all. Set your minds also, your hearts and your minds, on things above and not on earthly things. For those things don't matter. You see, we get caught up in looking around and we forget about looking up. We get caught up in life looking around and we just look at our state, we look at our condition, we look at our circumstances. And we need to be reminded that our citizenship is not here in this world, it is in heaven. That we live with an eternal home in mind. And it is not in this world. And so don't be looking around at your circumstances and expect them to suddenly get better and that life would be just like heaven here on earth. It's not going to be. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. There's going to be problems that come your way. There's going to be health issues, money issues. There's going to be relationship issues. There's going to be hardships that you're going to face. And I wonder sometimes, maybe that's God's way of, to keep us longing for heaven. That, that those of us that have our citizenship in heaven, those of us that have accepted his son as our Savior and Lord, that maybe, just maybe, it's to keep us wanting to keep our focus on where we're going to end up in life and not where we are just today. I just wonder that sometimes. 
We're supposed to set our minds on those heavenly things because this world is not our home. So quit longing for the ease of this world and start longing for the presence of God in heaven someday. I think that's what kicked in for Paul and Silas. How do you praise in the prison at midnight? How do you praise when you're beaten? You're beaten so much that you're hurting. It's maybe even painful to take a breath. And they start praising God and singing. We need to understand also as believers that in Christ, in Christ, our future is always better than our past. In Christ, our future is always better than our past. That's got to be the Christian's outlook. The followers of Jesus Christ, we're always looking because guess what? If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've called him Savior and Lord, you have a happy ending in life. It doesn't matter how your life ends. If you're in an automobile accident, if you die of natural causes in your sleep, if you die because of some medical condition, it doesn't matter how you go. Guess what? In Christ, happy ending. In Christ, we get to go and be with the Heavenly Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, away from this place and away from this world. I believe what the Apostle Paul is saying through Philippians chapter 4, what he's modeling through Acts 16, is this fact. Focus your mind on God. That as believers go through life, that your heart's affection and your mind's attention would be more drawn up than it's drawn down. They'd be more focused on Jesus Christ. You look around this room, there's some pain in this room. Some of, some of you are going through stuff right now, sickness and disease. Some of you lost a loved one, maybe even lost your spouse. It felt like your right arm was cut off. Some of you lost a job, you're still looking for a job, you don't know how you're going to make next month's rent. I mean, there's a lot of pain in this room, but God says, hey, 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 I know how to help you with this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So we're going to be a people of prayer. What did they do in the dungeon? What did they do in the prison? After being beaten, the first thing it says, they prayed. But then it says, then they praised. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 4, with thanksgiving, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And in those last two verses that we added today, what does it say? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what's praiseworthy? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, taking on the cross of Calvary, raising from the dead so that we could accept him. He took on, he took on the, the atonement for our sins. We should be sacrificed for our sins. And Jesus, the Son of God, comes in because of God's great love for us and takes on our sins so that we can walk in newness of life and sin no more, so we can be worshipers of the Heavenly Father. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it today. I think so many times we hear sermons. and So today, you're going to apply it before you leave this sanctuary today. Usually now we start playing a song and we go into a little uh, uh, song and we invite you to go to the decision room. Today we're not asking you to go to the decision room. Today we're going to do two things. We're going to do the two things that Paul and Silas did. We're going to pray and then we're going to praise. And I'm hoping that maybe if you came in this morning and, and you were downtrodden and you were distracted by the things in this world and you were struggling and you were anxious about something, not anxious about nothing, 
and you have worry and you have stress in your life, maybe in these next few minutes, the God of peace, the God of peace, the, the peace of God that transcends all understanding in our minds, he'll begin to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus because we're going to focus on him. So the first thing we're going to do is pray. So if you would, just bow your heads, not be distracted by anything. We're just going to spend three or four minutes here praying. It's okay, I cut the sermon short so we could do this. So don't we worry about time. We're still, we're still going to go to lunch today, promise. But we're going to pray right now. Let's pray. Why don't you pray to God right now? Why don't you, why don't you just begin by crying out to God about what it is that's bugging you, what your struggle is. Maybe it's sin. Man, you've been trying to overcome this sin. You did it again last night. And it's like a battle deep in your soul. And Jesus wants to hear from you on that. He can deliver you from that. Maybe you're just sad. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you've been fighting depression. Take a moment here and cry out to God. Pray to God. Tell him what's going on. Tell him what your struggle is. As we keep praying, I want you to think of who you're praying to right now. You're praying to the God of the universe. Do you see him on the throne, high and exalted? The train of his royal robe fills the temple. He's so large. He's so mighty. See him for who he is right now. See him for what he's done in your life in the past and see for what he's doing right now. Give him some praise for who he is. Glorious. Loving. Heavenly Father. He holds the future in his hands. He's strong. Mighty. We're overcomers because he's an overcomer. And in that attitude of prayer, please keep praying with me. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for this time where we can pause and, and we can pray the almighty God of the universe. And God, you are so awesome because there can be like five, six hundred of us praying right now, God, and you hear all of our prayers. You discern every individual. It's not a bunch of garbly goop coming into your ears. You, you hear Eric's prayer. You hear everyone's prayer in this room. And God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you that you care about us. We thank you that when we when we pray to you and we begin to, to speak and to communicate vertically instead of just horizontally in life, that we can feel your presence. We can see our heavenly Father. Hey, Lord, we praise you, not just for what you've done, but for who you are. I imagine that these men, these men who were in the prison, Lord, they, they, were, they were maybe struggling a little bit with that, but they saw you on the throne exalted. And they saw the Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death, stone rolled away, empty tomb, 
power over everything in life on earth and in heaven. Redeemed Paul and Silas, redeems us for our salvation. God, we give you glory and praise and thanks for that. And God, we, we want to see you for who you really are. And I pray we can do that in these next few minutes that so we would bring to you maybe even a sacrifice of praise. As these men did at midnight, Lord, that we could just praise your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to sing a song and we're going to praise the Lord. And I don't want this to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to stand. I mean, how different would it be if God Almighty took on some form where you could actually see him and he was seated here, he was sat here on his throne this morning? If he was, if he was seated right here on his throne, how would your praise be different? I imagine, especially some of us guys, going, praise the Lord. No. We'd be expressive. We'd be like, eyes on the Lamb, eyes on the King. What if Jesus took on some form this morning where you could see Him? I mean, I don't know about you. I'd want to go run up and hug Him through tears, sacrifice for my sins, all my failures. You keep forgiving me. That's amazing, God. With that in your hearts, with that in your minds, with your heart's attention, with your mind's attention, your heart's affection right now, then let's sing. Let's really sing the song. We're just singing a song of praise to God. Let's sing it out. Let's sing it from the heart like we really mean it. So stand up, God's people.